Well, welcome to episode nine of Pen Pen Pals Podcast. Uh, this week we have another guest, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Brian Bohey. Hello, it's good to be here. To start off, i just like to ask Brian uh, if you could speak on your um, experience with the show. Like, uh, uh, have you watched it before? D- at what age did you watch it at? Yeah, so I saw it. Um, I don't know if it's when it first came out. Uh, I was working at Tower Records in the 90s. Gosh, I was in my early 20s. I want to say 22-ish, maybe. I just received it as just another anime. It was dazzling and I was like really into it, but I was not thinking critically about it. (laughs) Uh, It was mostly about the aesthetics. Me and my friends were excited about uh, an anime series that had as much quality in the art as what we are used to seeing in just an anime film, like Akira or Do You Remember Love? Oh yeah. Um, So that was really cool. other than that, I mean, it did address more heady stuff than what we were used to uh, in an anime show, but uh, probably too young to be thinking about those things at the time. Right. So most of it just went over our heads. I'd forgotten that Tower had anime. <laughs> yeah. I remember, uh, like another universe would have stuff. Tower, yeah, I guess had stuff. And then Borders would have like a little manga section or something like that. Yeah, my how things have changed and grown. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm remembering it right, but I feel like we were watching the episodes like two episodes per VHS tape. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty absurd. I just had a flashback when you said VHS to Bubblegum Crisis. Oh. That that series that they had at like Blockbuster. Yeah, I used to rent them. That's amazing. I actually rented uh, uh, Robotech, not really Robotech, the second season of Robotech, which is actually Genesis Climber Mospita, I think, uh, and experiencing it, yeah, two episodes at a time on a VHS tape. <laughs> uh, that's actually a pretty good point of reference, because um, at the time, you know, watching Neon Genesis Evangelion uh, was in an experience right next to Bubblegum Crisis, Dirty Pair, Dominion Tank Police, like, <laughs> some pretty lighthearted stuff. Wow, that is, you just triggered a bunch of memories for me. Stuff I haven't thought about in years. Like, I, I, I haven't seen Dominion Tank Police, but I vividly remember, like, uh, uh, promotional uh, uh, shots of it, or maybe just, like, the cover of uh, a VHS or something. It's really wild. Good times. Anyways, so, uh, oh, I always forget to introduce ourselves. My name's Alex. Oh, that's right, we don't do that. Uh, my name is Ben. And we are happy to int- we are happy to have people along again for our journey through Neon Genesis. Uh, and I'm really glad you brought that up. That not watching it the first time with a critical eye, that's been the biggest revelation of this whole thing. Yeah, uh, for me is like I definitely watched these episodes, but because of how old I was and what I thought about philosophy and psychology. I took away completely different messages uh, and didn't it really didn't take away as much because I was more focused on the Godzilla like <laughs> giant robot and monster fights. Absolutely. And it's definitely a show that's made for rewatching also like it's just really hard to pick up 
there's a lot of like foreshadowing, kind of like cryptic things that you really can't, can't understand, even if you're like paying a lot of attention, you know, just in the plot, let alone the, the themes. Oh, yeah. I think we touched on that once about it is like you can watch it through, but you would get the most out of it when it was coming out in Japan on television. You would get the most out of it if you were an otaku, if you were recording it off of the broadcast or if you had a friend doing that so that you could go back through these episodes and check for really neat things, the Kabbalah aspects and the... uh, uh, like in that first episode or second episode, that Pen Pen and the Evangelion's regenerating eye looked identical. Just weird little eccentricities. Definitely. Um, so what, what's the, what's the uh, Peapod update? Oh, uh, uh, another handful. Uh, uh, my folks came back into town, so they're back in the house. And so I was able to share them again and uh, have not just me enjoy them. Oh, and I don't know if I mentioned this, uh, not quite pea pods, but uh, the tomatoes are uh, starting to form. Like I have little green tomatoes on two of my plants. And that's very exciting for me. <laughs> awesome. Uh, what about the podcast update? Any any big things on your other show? Uh, tomorrow I am talking to the mother of a murder victim, so I'm nervous about that. Um, I talked to her once on the phone, um, not like an interview, and, and she's like very nice, and I was afraid, you know, of kind of injuring old, what, what's the word? Reopening old wounds? Yeah, sorry, what? What's the phrase? Reopening old wounds? Yeah, 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 something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it seems like she like wants to talk. She wants to like share these like memories of her daughter. And there is kind of like an initial wave of publicity right after it happened. But then it's kind of been years since someone contacted her. Pretty interesting because I've seen these videos of like, you know, kind of like the primetime news interview right after this thing happened. I said, basically, like, long story short, her daughter was the last victim of the serial killer who then got caught. So it turned into, like, a national news story because he was a serial killer. You know, so then there's, like, an interview with her, you know, three or four days later after she knew. Mm-hmm. And then now it's been, that was 2014. Now it's been six years. So I'm very curious to kind of hear how she talks about it now versus how she talked about it kind of when she was still in shock and like feeling that acute grief. And, and you're right, like it is kind of, uh, it's very heavy. It, 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 a lot of, uh, I don't know, I can understand being nervous about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, how do you uh, mentally prepare for a, an interview like that? I mean, this isn't something that I'm used to doing. So, so I don't really know. I mean, it's at 5 p.m. tomorrow. So, so I guess the nice thing, I think I'll be able to sleep a little better because it's not the first thing in the morning. Mm. But then probably I'll be kind of nervous about it all day tomorrow. And, and I'll probably reread interviews or reread articles, rewatch the interviews that she has done and kind of type up a, a question list and just try to play through scenarios in my head. Yeah. Hmm. And then and then try to kind of like forget all of that and be present once I'm actually talking to her. Oh, that's really similar to some very mainstay concepts in acting. 
hmm. is to memorize the lines and then essentially forget that you know the lines so that they don't come from a rote place. They come out of the moment. Wow, that's a, that's a really interesting parallel. Yeah, I want to, maybe not on this podcast, but I want to follow up with you on that later. Yeah, okay, cool. Anyways, um, so this is episode nine. Uh, it is called, the Netflix title is Mind Matching Moment. And although I like alliteration, I still think it's inferior to the original title. Both of you, dance like you want to win. There's something I noticed though. I think that the the Netflix translation is maybe like closer. It's like the more literal translation to the original one for this one. I don't know if they if that's consistently true or not, but I wonder if the both of you dance like you want to win was kind of like an English version that they made when they first ported it over and then Netflix like retranslated them. Hmm. So I guess I just have a lot of respect or admiration or maybe just some love for uh, the, the original translators because I really like the, those <laughs> first English episode titles. Yeah, and I, I didn't go back and look at the other one, so I don't know. And then this would probably be edited in <laughs> earlier, um, but uh, Alex had mentioned that, that you have some music and that we might feature some music in the intro. I don't know if you want to like <laughs> tee up a song, if you guys have picked something out or talked about that. Calling it music might be a stretch. <laughs> but I was, I was just seeing a note from Alex describing you as a punk sorcerer. There'd be some uh, punk punk tracks or something. I love it. I, I will offer whatever I have. You guys can use it or lose it at your disposal. Okay. Awesome. I, I If you have anything, I would love to start including music, and it would be really cool to include music from the guests of the episode. Anyways. Okay. So... Last time on Moby Dick the Animated Series, Shady Gendo continued his shady ways. Masato took Shinji, Toji, and Kensuke to meet Asuka, the Great and Powerful, and to oversee the transportation of the Red Herring Ava Unit 02. UN boat captains turned out to be uh, sticks in the proverbial mud, and Asuka's handler, Ryoji Kaji, started his inappropriate banter with Masato early into his runtime. A whale of an angel appeared and sunk several billion dollars worth of boats before Asuka took matters into her own hands, launching in the O2, destroying several more boats, and getting eaten by the great white whale, not to mention the sea. Misato hashed a plan to play Captain Ahab, reeling in the angel Gagael, and sinking some more boats just for good measure. Ryoji flew away like a fucking cowardly lackey and delivered the real package to Shady Gendo, and we were left with but one question. Who's the coolest new kid in Tokyo 3? Asuka or Adam? So this episode, Asuka and Shinji face another angel, but it gets the upper hand. They now have six days to learn synchronized moves to destroy it completely. And then Alex has to sing the song. I'm gonna try not to max it out this time. <laughs>
because it keeps <laughs> when I go to edit oh, it, yeah. the the song just disappears at points. <laughs> I feel so silly. I'm like getting goosebumps watching it in this context. <laughs> Brian, did you watch this episode kind of in advance, or is this Three times. watching it fresh? Three times. Cool. I'm a pretty big fan of the people that created this series. All right, so we got kicked from Zoom while we were uh, watching, but we're all back now. Yeah, getting kicked from Zoom is annoying, but uh, I really connected with this episode more than when I was watching it on my own. You know, it really... Uh, spoke to the the theming of the episode, which was you know working with another person, uh, synchronizing your thoughts, synchronizing your uh, actions with someone else. Um, so that was very cool to experience. You you were saying, Brian, right when we were starting watching that you're a fan of the people who made this. I was curious, um, kind of, you could talk a little more about that. Yeah. So um, Studio Gynax. They were a legendary studio at their time. Um, and then it went through a few different evolutions, but a lot of the creative staff ended up going in two different directions. Uh, studio Trigger and then Studio Cloverworks, which has some type of umbrella relationship with A1. But um, you can see sort of the creative fingerprints of those people in the industry in their respective works in Trigger and uh, Cloverworks. Um, not just in like the art direction and the, the style, but also in storytelling themes. And it, it's also strange. I mean, this is kind of the meta conversation. Now we're talking about two parts being mm. in sync. <laughs> you can see some aspects of the storytelling of Evangelion and the works done under the roof of Gynax in the stuff of Trigger Works. The cinematography specifically uh, has a, just a much more cinematic eye. Sorry to be redundant. And then uh, on the Cloverworks side, you start to see more of the, like um, existential themes that are more popular now mm. in anime, but sort of began in this era and then continued through Cloverworks and then spread out from there. Uh, and then those studios did come together for a sort of reunion uh, in an anime called Darling in the Franks, which was highly anticipated because of this specific creative reunion. Everyone was expecting... Neon Genesis Evangeline Part 2. And it was kind of that. I sort of articulate it as uh, Evangelion fan fiction because it's a very similar story, but they do go in a few different directions. And maybe that's maybe what the, the Gynax staff had in their mind. Uh, who knows what kind of internal creative conflicts may have been happening at that time. So they came back together, the two studios that split. Was it like all the same crew or like just all, all the major players, the animators? or It was the major players, um, like individual episode directors, uh, key animation. I don't know what the title is, but like art direction uh, and hmm. writers hmm. as well. And what's interesting is um, some of the tension that was happening under the roof of Gynax happened again in this joint Hmm. Uh, venture, there was disagreements about uh, where the story should go and how it should play out. Uh, specifically, uh, you might have in the script one specific story, but of course it's received very differently when animated art is paired with it. Like, for example, fan service. Hmm. <laughs> when there is like sexualized characters on a story, 
it changes how you're receiving the story. Yeah. One part of the creative team was upset by that. And the other part of the creative team was like, this is the process. Mm. So maybe history repeats itself. Yeah, definitely. But it looks completely different from a, a new angle. Uh, uh, that's been a, a major point of discussion in previous episodes of this is that these, yeah, this fan service, these sexualizations of young bodies um, uh, seemed fine or or even something to seek out when I was watching it when I was younger. And now it's it's very uncomfortable. And when it's a statement, I... Uh, I'm far more interested to follow along with that statement, but when it's just, when it seems like it, those images are put in there just so that young men will watch it, it's, yeah, it's very distressing. Um, I was curious, sorry, this is kind of derailing from that point Alex just made, but um, mm. so for someone like me who's not familiar with Cloverworks and Trigger, what are like um, some animes that people might recognize by those studios? Um, so Trigger, probably their most popular anime is Gurren Lagann. They also did, gosh, the, the name is escaping me now. Um, it's these two female characters that are very scantily dressed and they fight with giant scissors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another one of theirs that's well known is Garter Belt and Panty uh, uh, yeah, or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Uh, so, so Trigger is all about... Well, gratification, I it's guess. the fan service side, it sounds like, in that internal debate. Yes, it is very fan service-y, uh, but one of their advantages is the storytelling is very linear and very consistent. You know what you're going to get, and there's less likely to be disappointments. Their stories usually get to where they're supposed to be going. And on the other side of that, uh, the Cloverworks A1 crowd, the animation looks much better. It's like spectacular. Uh, Trigger, like, it's kind of more rudimentary artwork, but the action choreography is more exciting. Whereas like with Cloverworks, a significant fight might happen just off camera because that's not really what their stories mm. are about. But, you know, like they will do ambitious things like exploring sexuality and social issues, but the criticism is their stories tend to fall apart as you get closer to the end. Yeah. That's amazing. So there are literally two camps within Gainax that are trying to work in concert. So this uh, episode really makes a lot of sense. Yes. All right, Ben, what were you going to say? Well, well, I was going to say with the, with the animation stuff and like kind of animation budget, this episode I think really like does kind of, yeah, encapsulate both that, that final fight scene. You really see that like super cinematic, you know, super beautiful anime, but then we have the, uh, like, scene early on with, you know, like, the perverted uh, photographs and stuff, right? And, and that's also just, like, a very clever way to, like, cut your animation costs by just having stills mm -hmm. from someone's camera. And, and the first fight scene does happen off camera, right? We get this hard cut, and then we just see yeah. slides of the... <laughs> The battle, so it's kind of like they're they're doing both things at once, right? They're deciding, I guess, where to prioritize that that animation, kind of really saving it for the the finale of this episode. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's go through it. So we open the episode, and Toji and Kensuke are uh, illegally photographing their classmates. 
it's it's an interesting uh, narrative device and an interesting uh, justification for those still images, right? It makes the the movement of the story still very interesting, even though it has this uh, uh, baseline animation uh, uh, or like no animation, you know, because it's just stills. And then we also find out that they're selling them to other kids, which is... Oh, I missed that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as they're sitting down looking at the role of them, uh, Kensuke, he, he hands one to some kid and the kid walks off and Kensuke says something like, pleasure to do business with you or see you again next time. Uh, so that's real messed up. Oh, but one of them says, I wonder if foreign girls mature early. And I was like, no, they don't. I mean, maybe there is a slight difference in age of, uh, in different cultures when you're expected to mature as a young man or woman, but early childhood trauma survivors mature early. Mm. Like they, they switch their brain states earlier and they start acting or trying to mimic adult behavior much earlier than uh, people who don't go through those processes, at least as I understand it. There, there is this weird thing where uh, kids are maturing earlier and earlier. And I think that they say that has to do with like body weight. Mm. Kids that, that are a little heavier will just like go through puberty sooner. Oh, I've also heard that um, cultures where there's heavily processed foods, livestock that's been altered with steroids that gets into our systems and young people enter puberty earlier. Oh, wild. Through some sort of chemical influence. And that, I mean, I, I, it's not stated, but you, we could kind of extrapolate that because of the amount of prepared food that is consumed within the series. <laughs> it's almost exclusive, <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so maybe, I mean, it's not... It's not a good justification for objectifying these young bodies, but it it is an interesting explanation for <clears throat> the uh, acceleration of uh, uh, maturity, or not really maturity, but like puberty, like you said. Yeah, I, I guess it was unclear to me if they made like it kind of from the context, because it was like these people taking these creepy photographs. I didn't know if they meant like physically or something, but then kind of later on, we'll get to it. Um, in that bedroom scene, you know, mm. maybe they're also talking about emotionally, and Asuka definitely is this uh, extremely confident person, at least on the surface, right? Yeah, she's a force to be reckoned with. She's loud. She's unapologetic. And right that the next thing we see is she finds Shinji, and she gives him a really hearty hello, and then a big old guten morgen, which makes her a point of attention for the whole class. And by the time they, she's talking to Sinji, they walk a little bit. By the time they get to the escalator, the entire class is following them. And there's this big uh, uh, traffic jam at the escalator. And then they go down to, or Shinji points out that Ray is down at the bottom of the escalator. And by the time they get to the bottom of the escalator, you would think that the traffic jam would kind of alleviate itself, but everyone is still just standing behind Asuka, staring at the two of them uh, interacting with Ray. Oh, and it, well, I had a question about this the last time, but now this cinches it. They all, when they're piling the Ava, they all wear these neural interface barrettes, I guess, in their hair, but Asuka wears hers all the time. Ray does, Ray and Shinji do not. They only wear them mm. when they're on duty. Uh, Asuka wears them all the time, just in case. I guess. 
maybe it's all of her identity. Because uh, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead too much. Like in the convenience store, she alludes to, I don't remember her exact words, like this is all I have or this is all I am. And that's um, uh, uh, a point uh, or a parallel between Ray and Asuka that I don't know if it'll get explored later, but they actually do have something very in common. They feel that their link to the world is piloting an Ava. Um, and they're both, they both have yeah. inappropriate feelings for an older uh, uh, authority figure, male authority figure. Uh, uh, Ray to Gendo and Asuka to... Uh, uh, Ryoji. Ryoji Kaji, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I guess speaking of Ryoji Kaji, so, so after this schoolyard scene, then we um, cut to Ritsuko, um, who's viewing info about one of the angels. Is this the angel from the, the last episode? Yeah, the big whale one, Gagael. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Um, and then Ryoji comes in, kind of walks up behind her like a creep, and, you know, I guess uh, very flirtatiously touches her. I don't know, she seems kind of into it, but it's weird. So Ritsuko is a very calculated character. The way she interacts with other people, her emotions are very performative. So yeah, when he, uh, uh, I think assaults her is a, I don't know, I think that phrase applies. Uh, She kind of leans into it, but, uh, only so that she has the opportunity to conversationally, like, what do you call it, um, divert to Masato and ask him a question like, don't you think that Masato would be upset about this? Uh, trying to gauge how he feels about things to really use the situation to her best informational advantage. Mm. I thought it was interesting that uh, <laughs> Misato was watching <laughs> through, the, through the panel uh, my impression was that there was some mm. kind of performance happening and I wouldn't be able to guess what the purpose of it was until later, like Ritsuko sits down with Misato to talk about this relationship mm. and like sort of press the issue. Like, was that her way of like provoking something to see what Misato's mm-hmm. reaction was going to yeah, be? Yeah, I mean, she's a scientist. And, and there's, uh, you know, there's some reference later on to, you know, oh, the three of us just like old times, you know, so we, we know from previous episodes that Misato dated him in college or something like that. Yeah, eight years yeah, ago. But, so I guess maybe they were friends with Misato at the time or Misato has some sort of shared history. Seems like she at least knows that Ryoji is a is a flirt, or Ritsuko knows he's a flirt, right? Because he he dated Misato. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So so you know maybe that this isn't unexpected for her. <laughs> she's been in this position before. Yeah, she's not surprised by much. Uh, so then I think Ryoji and Misato speak momentarily, and Misato says, "You're here to deliver uh, the second child and the Ava O two. So why aren't you leaving? And he says, well, I just got orders and I'm here until further notice. Um, I wonder why he would get orders to stay there. And maybe Mm. it's, maybe someone's pulling the strings to keep Misato off balance because Misato is the closest thing to like a hero we have here in that she's a really good faith actor. She is concerned about the well-being of the children under her care. And she is 
hyper focused on uh well not hyper focused like she is focused on the destruction of the angels the saving of humanity in that way and i don't think she's privy to the human instrumentality project or maybe other secret things that are above her pay grade so i wonder if him being there is a way to keep her off balance so mm. that she doesn't pry into things that she would really oppose if she figured out what was going on. I, I was thinking maybe it's more just that she thinks he was just there to deliver stuff, but really he's there because of that, like the Adam and the human instrumentality project. Mm. So that's why they're keeping him there. Cause like, you know, the, the reason he came there in the first place was this ruse. And so she's confused, but you know, he, he's there for other reasons. Mm. I, I was, my mind was going towards false pretenses as well. Um, I don't know if this is rehashing old material too much, but like my first impressions of Misato uh, was like, mm-hmm. this woman is a handler and she's not above using whatever means to manipulate mm. the asset, you know, Shinji. Mm. Just like this teenage boy being in this older woman's apartment and like, uh, she's pretty open. <laughs> she seems like a very liberated sexual person and what an easy person to manipulate. Huh. She just seems like an, like an agent. And I think some of the conversations she had were very much like, hmm. like he's the asset and she's the handler. And then, so I don't know if I was inferring too much, but then when Ryoji is introduced with Asuka, I felt like there was a similar thing. Like he's uh, literally that, that, That's interesting. Like so so maybe they're kind of using these older people and these children's sexuality to kind of yeah. be able to control them and, and kind of motivate them to pilot these angels. Is that the idea? <laughs> hmm. And, and I, that's interesting. And Ray has that character too, right? So Ray. <laughs> huh. Oh, and Asuka. Yeah. Asuka definitely has a crush. Yeah, she says later, Ryoji. I'd rather be, uh, living in his apartment. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a lot of manipulation happening. I guess I just really, maybe I just really like Misato and I want her to be a quote-unquote good guy. But I, I'm going to have to look at that somewhere. Yeah, that's interesting. So so I was having this conversation with Cassie about, you know, so I guess he was talking again about kind of like the sexism in the series and like there's a lot of male characters doing very sexist things to the women but it's kind of unclear whether it's just they're showing you this thing that is a thing, like like whether the show is like embracing or, or endorsing that or more just like saying this is a thing that happens and actually showing you kind of like that the women don't like it and stuff. And, and I was kind of wondering, almost Misato, so Shinji is kind of the main character in terms of mm-hmm. like we see the most scenes with him Mm-hmm. But I think Masato is the most likable character in this mm. series. That that kind of Shinji, there's a lot of things that he's, you know, very passive, kind of weak in some ways. And Masato is more of the conventional, brave hero. Um, I mean, I'll agree with Alex. I think, well, maybe both of you, uh, Misato does genuinely care about Shinji. Uh, she does care about the pilots. Uh, I do feel like... There's a dirty job she has to do, though. Um, like, if humanity is depending on these kids uh, to perform as pilots, 
she has to do her part in just that traditional Japanese. So, sense. so we had that the there's the weird Shinji kind of、uh, depression episode, and you know he's maybe gonna run away. She's like, I don't blame him. So you viewing it as the handler? Did you see that as a manipulative thing that she thinks she can't force him to do this? So let him do this, and like she's depending on him, ultimately coming back and changing his mind. Like it's a calculated thing, or that she's really fine with letting him go if that's the decision he wants to make. Oh、uh, man, I think I'm gonna have to default to the head cannon exit because、uh, I, I personally don't get a clear picture because I could. I, I watched that episode several times trying to sort out that very issue, and I can't. See any clues that would direct me one way or another that she's got this job to do.、Um, she needs to set up this ruse. She's going to come back to the train station to make sure, you know, he's not actually going to leave, and then she panics because maybe she missed her window, or maybe she just cares about the kid and says, <laughs>、so、"Screw it, like let him be free and live a life and be happy." And we'll figure out something else with another. Well, maybe、pilot. that's what、know. makes her so. I think Misato's. One of the most fascinating characters here, if not the most fascinating, and maybe it's because, like, looking at it from a dialectical lens,、uh, she has this thesis statement, this driving motivation of defeating the angels,、uh, and then she has this antithesis, antithesis of really caring about the people under her in her charge, right? Of Of not wanting to quote unquote use them,、mm-hmm. to wanting to work side by side with them, and the reason why she's so fascinating is because these two motivations, which are often in conflict,、uh, what she decides to do with it—that's that's where the interesting things happen. Uh, uh, how she solves each individual、mm-hmm. problem. You know, I'm thinking of a show like Battlestar Galactica,、um, the the new one, or. You know, I guess this is. I think this is a theme in sci-fi and war movies is that there's like often this conflict of you're you're fighting this kind of inhuman enemy, and it's kind of if you sacrifice your humanity to defeat it, then kind of like what's the point if if you're no better or something like、mm. that. I don't I don't know how much that applies, right? But but if you're kind of torturing these children, or you know, then Is that worth it?、Mm. Well, I, I'll, I'll double down on one speculation and leave another one free hanging. So, I mean, I definitely think Misato is manipulative because, like, early on, we're shown that she can switch、mm. roles pretty easily. You know, she's just like wild and drunken and free spirited, and then she puts the business suit on and she's like in the zone to do a job, and then later, like, she does this. Heroic thing to stop this renegade prototype, you know, that's about to explode. She's got a lot of roles. She seems to pretty comfortably switch between them, and the authorities probably do know that she's got some kind of personal conflict. Conflict、uh, when it comes to the pilots, and here's my loose speculation: maybe Ryoji's orders to stick around is to be her handler. To make sure、mm-hmm. she stays in line, because he his presence absolutely provokes her emotionally. He has some kind of 
influence over her that she's just, not able to control. So, so this is uh, just a thought going out that I, I was wondering if you were going to say that his job is to be Asuka's handler. Um, and something that I'm wondering is since, um, since Gendo left, has Ray fought at all? And so if Gendo is Ray's handler, mm. like, do they always have kind of their adult person present when, uh, when the people are, are in the Avas? Oh, yeah. That's a really good thing to look out for. Okay, so moving right along, uh, there's another, there's a sighting of a large object moving through the water uh, of what used to be Tokyo One, those ruins, uh, and Misato uh, calls on Shinji and Asuka to launch and engage our next angel attack! So this is uh, Israfel. And the name means the burning one, which is kind of cool. There isn't like any fire involved or anything, but it is a real neat name meaning. Uh, and it symbolizes uh, the twin angels uh, of poetry, dance, and music, uh, which is also very cool in the other things that happen in the episode. In order to fight it, they use dance and music as a training mechanism to synchronize their efforts against this thing. It's fairly weak compared to other angels we've seen and other angels we will see. Like it has a very weak AT field. It has seemingly very little weaponry. It's actually not that fast and it's easily injured, but it has this regeneration capability that outmatches any angel we've seen. Even Sakael in the uh, first episode, uh, that angel could regenerate quite a bit and even adapt uh, uh, new forms of attack or new weaponry in order to deal with uh, threats after it regenerated. But Israfel can regenerate from like less than half of its body. So it's got a yin-yang symbol uh, as its face, which kind of alludes to the fact that its greatest ability is that it can split into two identical bodies, uh, which act in perfect synchronization because it's still just one soul or one consciousness controlling both. So uh, Shinji fires some at uh, Israfel, and then Asuka just cuts it in half. Well, so, so last episode, you know, we had Asuka kind of going off script and, and taking the lead, and it was very beneficial in that um, situation. Hmm. And then this time around, you know, maybe it's a little more problematic, or at least they, they blame her for going off script, Shinji blames her anyway, once things take a turn. So she had cut Israfel in half, then we, you know, we kind of think that they're victorious, we, we have a hard cut, and then we go to the debrief um, where we learn that um, it had kind of regenerated into two separate angels and defeated them. Yeah, and that's where we get the cool, uh, uh, the good use of still images. When it regenerates and they're surprised by it, it cuts and does a, almost like when you're in a movie and it, the film runs out, it cuts to like a bright white screen. I think there's even a cool sound cue that kind of sounds like a film reel running out. Mm. And then they're in the briefing room and they're recovering from like, the two of them are in 
Asuka and Shinji are in towels, I think. They're kind of recovering. They're being debriefed, and they're already arguing with each other about what they should have done and who's at fault. <laughs> um, and, oh, the the number two, maybe it's because I just watched uh, A New Hope again, but the number two, Gen, or Gendo's right-hand man, he looks more and more like Grand Moff Tarkin every time I see him, uh, which fits his station, that. too, if Gendo <laughs> is... Uh, uh, Vader or the Emperor, yeah. then this guy would be Moff Tarkin. So Masato uh, gets stuck with a bunch of paperwork because with the uh, the Avas being defeated by the Angel, it caused a lot of property damage that they weren't uh, thinking about, and the JSSDF uh, ended up using another N2 mine that like localized nuclear blasts. Uh, which it looks like they're trying to build nerve for all of that. And, and it seems like for the first time that those conventional things are at least kind of effective against the angel. So it at least buys them some time. Yeah, the N2 mine works even better than it did against Sakael um, in that it incinerates more of the angel's body, but we know that its regenerative capabilities are better, so it's going to come back in six days. And so now they have this plan. Uh, they're going to attack it simultaneously, which involves Asuka moving in with Masato, Penpen, and Shinji. And the two of them, uh, Shinji and Asuka, uh, kind of synchronizing their eating habits, synchronizing their dancing abilities, synchronizing everything. Um, I didn't really uh, understand like the strategy behind that, because really that synchronization idea uh, is done in many other fields just during business hours, like rehearsal time for figure skaters or whatever. Like they don't need <laughs> to brush their teeth together. Right. So to me, this gets back to the manipulation aspect of this. Oh, kind of like immersion therapy as a uh, manipulative tactic. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And then, the peak of this is uh, Misato removing herself from the situation. And these two teenagers are alone unsupervised for the night. And who yeah, knows what's going to happen. One of the things happen. that confused me was the, so we have that scene with, with Ray and kind of very early on, Ray is very synchronized with Shinji, but then that's just used to motivate Asuka to like take it seriously. Or I was like, Oh, why don't they, why doesn't, why don't Ray and Shinji just fight it? <laughs> right. So they already had a working model. But, uh, uh, I mean, this is an in-story thing, but uh, Shinji and Asuka's sync rates with their Avas are higher. Mm. And so ultimately that's why they want, mm. because they think the sync rate gives better precision. That's why Shinji fires the rifle in that episode, while Ray instead... Uh, mans the shield because mm. they think that the synchronization uh, uh, influences their precision. Okay, so I've got some information that I don't know how reliable mm -hmm. it is because it came from a fandom wiki. Uh, but I searched because I was confused about what is it about these two Evas doing these synchronized combat moves was so important. And uh, what I found, in, and maybe it's in the episode and I just missed it, was that unit was it one and two uh needed to hit mm -hmm. the cores at the same time 
and that's what was going to do it. And that's where their first failure was. Uh, but while looking at that, um, there was some material that said that when uh, is Raphael's splits, uh, they become Makoto and Cecilia, uh, which is a reference to some mythological figures. Uh, Makoto being a male that is fully aware of its abilities. And this gets back to the music, poetry, and dance. But Cecil Cecilia uh, isn't fully aware until mm -hmm. they're in sync or union, um, unless it's during a full, full moon. Like independently, Cecilia realizes her full potential during a full moon. And the only reference I saw to a moon was that night when Misato leaves, but the reflection on the building is not a full moon. It's like a half moon. <laughs> so I think we skipped one thing. So Toji and Kensuke uh, show up to visit Shinji. And it turns out that uh, Hikari Horaki, the mm -hmm. class rep, who is often coming in conflict with Toji and Kensuke, uh, uh, she's going there to check on Asuka, see how the new girl is settling in. And it ends up becoming this impromptu party because Masato shows up with Rei, and now they have, like, a little get-together that happened. But Shinji and Asuka don't really get to participate. They have to train while everyone just watches them fail. Yeah. So I had some interesting observations about that scene. Um, seems like being in sync or synchronicity is uh, the main theme of this episode because these classmates all show up at the same time, literally walking out of elevators at the same time, all three fingers pressing the ding ding button at the same yeah. time and it just like in my, in my notes in, in terms of expressions of people already being in sync it seemed like during the debriefing uh shinji and asuka uh are in sync in some ways they have the same reaction to uh the initial mission failure as well as coming to the same conclusions although pointing in different directions mm. maybe that was just the foundation they're building yeah on. just Excellent theming, uh, top to bottom. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so Asuka has problems uh, doing the dance moves with Shinji, uh, even though she, she feels that she's actually performing at a higher level and that dumbing down her skills to Shinji's level is messing her up. And we, we also get to see uh, Pen Pen stare into the eyes of the class rep. Uh, I assume hypnotizing her and making her into another follower of Pen Pen. But Asuka gets really upset that Rei is able to step into her place with seemingly no problems. She runs out. It looks like she's on the verge of tears. And then, I, I don't know, it seemed like she Shinji goes and finds her at the convenience store and she's like stuck her face into a freezer. And I wonder if she's trying to keep herself from crying? Is that something people would do? Or, or maybe she doesn't want him to see that she's crying or something like that. Like she's just hiding her face from him. Uh, I, I got the impression like maybe she'd just been sitting there for a while, <laughs> like disassociating or something or, or just deep in thought. Yeah, and then, then we have this kind of, Oh yeah. Um, I feel like this is kind of an anime trope of the male and, and female kind of sleeping in the same area, right? So in this case, they're in different rooms. She goes to the bathroom in the middle of the night, um, accidentally comes to his room and, and lays down behind him. 
because that's where she has been sleeping, right? It's the, she's going back to the synchronization training that they've been doing. Anyway, and, and so there's kind of this thing where she's asleep, he's awake, and he's tempted by her. But, uh, you know, as, as he's tempted to kiss her, he ends up hearing her, you know, sleep talking about her mother. And he interprets this as that even though she acts all mature and tough, that she's also, you know, just a just a kid, and you know, maybe also kind of sees her as a human, and that snaps him out of what he was doing. Ends up kind of leaving the bed and, and kind of sleeping off to the side. Yeah. So uh, specifically, the trope is like accidental sexual tension, right? She's half asleep, goes to the restroom, mm. and like this is the the fantasy, right? The fan service fantasy. So on autopilot, she goes back to where she would normally go. <gasps> Oops, it's Shinji's futon. <laughs> like, because hers is in the other room. Now they're both sitting there in this thing, and there's this tension that's building in Shinji. Right? He accidentally clicks the song that's. Uh, going in reverse in high speed, and the timer is now a countdown, um, and it's going faster than usual. <laughs> and then what's it counting down towards? Like he's looking at her, and he's you know starting to feel feelings. Uh, and then did I get this right? Like, did she have a tear forming? Yeah, she starts to because she does not let people see her cry. Like you. Uh, uh, noted, but she cries in her sleep. And that that's what snaps him out of it, right? Like, that humanizes her. And he takes his leave. But then he's also maybe reacting to the criticism that she dished out earlier about him being a child. And, like, maybe his reaction is that well, she can't express herself mm. any better. Like, she's childish as well. But it does get into the big theme that I wanted to talk about uh, was like themes of sexuality in this episode, which are also the, the same themes throughout the series, actually. Um, and, the, and the big question for me is, is this uh, a reflection of the culture that it's a product of or is it a spotlight? Like, what is the intent of our storytellers? And I don't actually have an answer for myself. I don't know where I fall on that. Well, based on what you said before uh, and the theming of the episode, maybe just because I'm thinking of it this way, like, I th I think it's both. I think there are people in that or creating this episode who thought this is what people want to see. This is what we're going to give them. And there are other people who thought this is what's happening to society and it's not good. So we need to highlight it. So maybe it's both. It does seem very intentional that you have Shinji kind of, you know, he's in this position, he could take advantage of her and doesn't. And then we cut straight from there to this kind of ambiguous, at least rapey scene of like Ryoji and Misato where they're making out and like, you know, she's kind of protesting She's protesting about the fact that they could, someone could see them, mm. but, but still protesting. And then we see her kind of very upset um, after the fact, once she's out of the elevator. 
Right. And like uh, a lot of women in uh, situations where they think they're going to be when they're being assaulted or they think they might be assaulted, they don't very intelligently often they don't uh, say this makes me uncomfortable because like you're assaulting me. They make some other excuse. Right. Mm -hmm. So as not to provoke or insult the person who is putting them in danger. Like she says, yeah, someone might see us when really she might mean get the fuck off of me. But if I say that, you might get angry and hit me. Mm. I, I saw there's a thing of her looking at the elevator, like what floor they're on. And at first I'd interpreted that as like, she's worried about someone seeing them. But now I'm thinking back, this is just like, she's like, when is this going to be over? Okay, I'm, uh, I'm thinking about uh, comparing and contrasting Shinji, like how he deals with sexual tension versus like his classmates. Uh, or his fellow pilots or the peers. Like the episode starts off, uh, his buddies are taking pictures of women changing mm-hmm. clothes. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's a violation. And so they're not handling their growing sexual identity with any kind of maturity. And then what we've seen of Shinji so far is like he kind of freezes whenever there's something sexually, con- uh, a sexual confrontation. Uh, and then maybe the exact opposite, Asuka seems very comfortable calling out, like like when she first shows up in episode eight, like there's a panty shot that happens and she addresses it directly and then gives these guys a slap on the face and then there's a reaction and she does not freeze at all. <laughs> like she has a very confrontational reaction to this guy exposing himself. But there's... We, we see this picture of her um, that is not uh, confident and not processing, maybe it's not sexuality, but like being intimate in the sense of like very socially, interpersonally in sync with another person, right? She's mm. resistant to it. And the only thing that gets her on board is uh, whether it was staged or not um, by Misato is Asuka now has the ability to fully invest in this process for the sake of her pride, mm. not because she actually wants to let someone in and be that intimately in sync with another person. And as soon as the mission is over, walls back up, back to that same scene at the beginning of the briefing where we're arguing, this was, your, you didn't do this right, this is embarrassing. So I guess like this gets to the, is this a reflection or a spotlight thing? There's people that don't know how to process sexual tension or growing sexuality. And we see a lot of people handling it in different ways. And maybe that's expected in these teenagers, but even in the freaking adults, it's the same thing. Like what the hell is going on with these handlers, Misato, Ritsuko, Ryoji, like they have a history too. (laughs) Why are they still playing games? Hmm. Uh, so that led me to this other thing that I don't know if I'm inferring incorrectly, but it, I'm seeing this other duality, like if we're in theme with the angel again, fear of rejection versus fear of acceptance. You have like young teenagers that have these attractions, like his classmates to like Misato. Well, maybe it's better to use Shinji. Like Shinji is obviously feeling feelings, freezes, doesn't act on them. Maybe that's fear of rejection. Uh, and then now there's this night where Asuka and Shinji are together and it looks like something might happen. So what's 
less commonly thought about in those situations is fear of acceptance. Like the fear of, oh my gosh, what if something does turn sexual? Like that's a new kind of anxiety and maybe that's cause for pulling away instead of maybe even just talking about what's happening. Mm. Right. So that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it's like, uh, I never thought about it. Sometimes it's both, right? Like, it's kind of like, uh, I've experienced this, like when I wanted to ask someone out for the first time or wanted to make a move in a, like when on a first date or something. It's like Schrodinger's cat, right? Mm -hmm. Like, until you take an action, it's kind of in a superposition. And you're, I've been equally afraid of both outcomes. Mm -hmm. hmm. So, yeah, I mean, d during the, the final mission, they're getting ready to launch. And again, the camera zooms in very closely on the count, the, the timer, which is another countdown. Mm. Uh, but the, in this time, instead of two people separating, like we get to see Shinji and Asuka being in sync and doing their perfectly choreographed, like, combat dance, which ends in this eruption. <laughs> Uh. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. When they do the kick, they're like right on each other. Uh, uh, the Ava 01 and 02. Right. Ooh. And then just to strike it home, it ends the two mechs in a crater, similar to that sleepover they had when Misato was gone. This time, they're not separate. They're laying on top of each other, totally spent. Wow. <laughs> Almost post-coital kind of... Uh... <laughs> mm. Yeah, and then when they uh, uh, kind of when they maybe it's when they realize they're being monitored again, Asuka gets really upset at him. It's like, yes. no, 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 you messed everything up. Why are we like this? Well, and it's kind of like the sitcom thing of like, you know, you go through this whole change, they're kind of like in sync, but then right at the end, they're right back where they started, right? Where they're arguing mm -hmm. and, and fighting and. Yes, they were just in sync, and yes, they just did this amazing thing together, but now they're just back to, to kind of where they were at the start. Yeah. Uh, so this kind of brings me back to our, the beginning of our conversation about the translation of the title of the episode. The earliest translation that I saw titles episode nine is Moment and Heart Together, hmm. which after watching this episode again, I'm like, well, Asuka and Shinji were together if you want to say it, like their hearts were in sync, but it's only just for that moment. Is that the best that they can hope for? Wow, ships passing in the night. Ooh. I mean, they, they each have their own baggage and they're in a culture seemingly that uh, doesn't know how to have healthy conversations about sexual tension or, or healthy expressions <laughs> uh, of their sexuality. And maybe this is the best they can hope for. Sorry, I'm just basking. That is brilliant. Yeah, another thing, this is a little bit of a switch, but just something that I feel like this episode has made me think about is kind of, you know, like you're saying that the handlers, how they don't really ha seem to have their, like, shit together. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I feel like one of the themes is maybe, like, even when the stakes are really high, right? Like, it's this small group of people trying to save the world or whatever that we're still stuck as being humans. And like, even when the stakes are high, we can't just turn off being a human to get the job done. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, we have all of these human 
vulnerabilities or flaws that might get in the way of the mission or, you know, might need to be manipulated for the, mm -hmm. the purpose of the mission, right? And, and that I think yeah. maybe especially when the essential people are 14, they're kind of more vulnerable to kind of their emotions or they have less control maybe over themselves than, than the adults, but, but that even the adults seem to have trouble kind of controlling themselves and each other, like just getting along in this, in this workspace. Well, this gets into uh, the last theme that I wanted to touch on, and hopefully this doesn't get into spoiler territory for the series, but... Um, this, this can be our spoiler corner. Um, I, you, yeah, you've had some brilliant insight. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, this was um, super fun. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, they defeated... They def they defeat the angel again, and then we get, uh, we got that after credit scene. And this is the second, and I think the only, or those are the only two episodes with a red moon. Mm -hmm. um, and that is specifically because of Asuka and the red moon symbolizing change in uh, certain Japanese traditions um, and a breaking down of the, the, the barriers between worlds. Uh, and like she comes from Japan, but it's also a new level of sexuality that Shinji is uh, uh, experiencing. So there's definitely change happening. Yeah, any final thoughts? Well, I mean, something if you wanna, the, the shows that uh, Studio Trigger is most known for, Kill La Kill, uh, Gurren Lagan, and Panty and Stocking with Garter Belt. Mm. <laughs> Uh, Which is your wreck out of this? Oh, goodness. Um, Kill a Kill is pretty absurd and over the top, but it's at least a very interesting and original story. Most anime folks like Gurren Lagann the most. It's got a huge following. It's kind of a hyperbolic mecha anime. Yeah, it's very specifically shown in. Is that the one where it starts off there like mining or something like that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, like, if you're into light drama and heavy action, that is going to be your bag. Probably not something that this format would lend itself towards, though. <laughs> Just trying to be polite for the people that are big Gurren Lagann fans. And was there a recommendation from the other studio that came out of Ghana? Oh, goodness. Uh, Cloverworks. I very hesitantly recommend Darling in the Franks. It is actually my favorite anime. Yeah. But, and that's uh, the two of them coming back together. Yes, right? that's the reunion. Um, it's very, very polarizing uh, for the Anime News Network forum. It holds the record for the lo longest ongoing discussion about an anime. Ah. But it was a lot of very toxic uh, arguments. The production of the sh yeah, the production of the show itself was actually affected by the polarizing fan reaction. Um, the voice actress that played one of the supporting characters got death threats. Um, the home addresses of some of the people working at uh, the anime studios were posted online, encouraging people to take action. So a lot of folks got very emotionally invested in the show, but maybe lacked maturity just to receive the story in a civilized manner. I think this might be season two of Pen Pen Pals. I'm very intrigued now. <laughs> Yeah. And, and the, okay. the death threats too. Did you guys hear about um, 
Kyoto Animation Studio. Oh my goodness. Yes. I mean, like, that is a thing where, like, crazy, a crazy fan burned down in an animation studio and a lot of people died. So you gotta, yeah. you gotta watch out. Yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. So, like, if, if you do enjoy analyzing some of the themes uh, in Neon Genesis Evangelion, um, they are also in Darling in the Franks and a little bit more spotlighted. So they, they go more heavily into themes of sexuality and like intimacy in the sense of uh, individuality versus collectivism. That is awesome. Okay, yeah, that sounds like season two of this. Uh, it's a great... <laughs> uh, anything, do you have anything that you want to plug? Any projects you're doing? Uh, so in real life, I'm a life coach at uh, lifejutsu.com. And uh, the clientele that I'm specifically trying to reach are the, you know, geek nerd culture, punks, otakus, anarchists, whatever. Okay. And you have, uh, I think we've talked about this a little bit, you have a focus on uh, CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Methods? Uh, my uh, path is more about active therapy. So that, that expresses in a few different ways, um, drama therapy, uh, like something that you might do in like a tabletop role-playing game or in like, like theater style role plays, as well as other active therapies that might involve like something like meditation or yoga or any number of physical activities, but in a specifically guided therapeutic process with specific protocols. You can read all about it on the website. <laughs> yeah, it sounds open and useful. We will uh, uh, we will have a link to that website in the uh, show notes. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah, th thanks for coming on. I was going to say, I feel like you should be doing this podcast or something like that. I feel like you, <laughs> you have a lot of the kind of like background info and stuff that uh, Alex and I have been curious about <laughs> looking up as we go. Oh, man. Well, I, I can fake it for a couple hours, but uh, you guys are the real heroes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a great time. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I think it was a big success. So if you, if there's another episode down the line that really speaks to you, let us know, and we'll try to uh, yeah. uh, clear it so you can be the guest again. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So thanks for joining us for... Pen. Pen. Pal. Ah! All right. Uh, Till next time. Yeah. All right. Have a good night. So again, I, I don't know if this is reliable information, but um, the Makato and Cecilia aspects of uh, the angel. No, 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 I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, this really is going to get spoilery. Because uh, this is going to reference Adam and Lilith. Uh, is that okay? So like Adam, a human, but attributed as being like the father of the angels, and then Lilith, an angel being attributed to the father of humanity. 
what, what it made me think about was, um, so we've got these characters, these human characters, and gosh, if they could just get into each other's heads and understand each other, it would all be okay. <laughs> but um, this is kind of the conflict, right? Uh, individuality versus collectivism, which is a very, very Japanese theme, right? Uh, and is also kind of the tension that uh, Shinji and Asuka were having at the beginning. Like, they didn't want to be a pair. They wanted to be individuals doing their individual thing. So, like, we've got this larger story, and, like, mm. is it a good or a bad solution to this problem of us? <laughs> like, if we had this collective existence, like, yeah, we would get along, we wouldn't fight, but we wouldn't be individuals either. Hmm. It's interesting. I was thinking about the individual collectivist thing in terms of when Ray is perfectly synchronized with Shinji, but Asuka isn't, if that was kind of maybe this thing of like her being this foreign outsider that like, yes, she has this like individual talent, but she doesn't kind of fit into this world. She isn't synchronized. Mm -hmm the way that like kind of Ray and Shinji naturally are. Well, I, I'm going to admit that like I might be taking too many liberties because what I just said is admittedly heavily influenced on Darling in the Franks, um, the later iteration of this story where the pilots are paired in the same mech units. And while they're piloting, like they do cease to be individuals. They have to be like like a uh, Pacific Rim, you know? Um, hmm. And then like that parallels- Or like DBZ when they start fusing. Sorry, mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah. And then that yeah. parallels- Steven Universe. The larger story of the remnant of humanity, for lack of a better word, um, who are individuals and what they're fighting against, which is fighting specifically for one collective species. We, we also, at the end, kind of to continue the spoilers, we get a hint about what it is they're fighting, which is that we see this kind of angel being born in a volcano. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't remember kind of the rest of the series well enough, and I haven't looked enough into the lore, but so, so are angels coming from the earth? Are they being born out of volcanoes or, or other places like that? Is that, is that made clear? I don't know. I mean, they're definitely coming from specific places on Earth. Some of them seem to come from the sky or whatever, but I think that may be, I don't know how that works out uh, uh, narrative-wise, but thematically, uh, you can group them together. Like, Sakael and uh, Israfel are both water angels. Mm because they, they appear first coming through the ruins of Tokyo One from the sea. Whereas, uh, what's his name, uh, Ramael, the one that they're clearing the corpse out of, mm -hmm. uh, Tokyo Three, and this, that one I assume would be more of a, a sky or a fire uh, angel, mm -hmm. uh, identifying with one of the four classic Greek elements. Um, oh, and actually, we might not be going with Greek. It might be more than that. In in uh, uh, certain Asian traditions, I don't know if it's Japanese or Chinese or, or which specific religion it would be uh, associated with. There's also philosophically, uh, it's like fire, air, water, wood, and metal. Hmm. So there may be even more uh, uh, categories for them to list into.